We are currently in between sermon series. We just, we just finished up Habakkuk a couple of weeks ago. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to begin a longer series through James. And so in the meantime, uh, we're, we're going back to the basics is kind of what I'm calling it. And so last week, we looked at John 13, where Jesus talks about this, basically a creation of a new community that he's calling. And then this week is kind of week two of that idea of back to the basics, which is what kind of community are we called to be? And I'm focusing on being a praying community. So this week we turn to one of the defining characteristics of being the people of God. Our, our reading this morning will kind of continue on in those later chapters of John. Our, our passage last week was John 13. Um, this one will be a selection from John 14 through 16. They are printed for you in your bulletins, which is probably the easiest way to, to follow along. And so, um, beginning at John 14, verses 13 and 14, uh, this is the word of the Lord. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. John 16, 23 through 24. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. This has been the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Again, we're picking up here at toward the end of, of the Gospel of John. Um, the, the verses before us are all coming from the same scene which is the upper room discourse, all right? So this is Jesus surrounded by his closest disciples. They've celebrated the Passover feast. Um, this is where they, they do the first Lord's Supper, where Jesus takes the bread and the wine, and he says, this is my body and this is my blood. And then um, this is Thursday night, and so on Friday he'll be arrested and then crucified the very next day. So this is some of the final teaching that Jesus does before his disciples, which, which I think is just a really interesting place for us to begin, right? Where does Jesus leave us before he goes to the cross to do the work that only he can do? I don't know uh, if, if you feel this way, but when I spend time with Jesus in the Gospels, he often makes me feel uncomfortable. I find Jesus to be very unsettling, and I think we're supposed to feel that way. I think if we're too comfortable with Jesus, I, I don't think we're taking him seriously. It might be that when Jesus talks about prayer, that's when he makes me feel the most uncomfortable. Let me give you some examples of this. Matthew 5.44, Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I like praying for people that I like. When it comes to my enemies, I'd, I'd rather think other thoughts that I find far more indulgent and gratifying. Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. That just sounds too good to be true. 
What if Jesus doesn't answer my prayers? What if I ask and knock and seek and it's not given? What if the door just stays closed? Makes me feel uncomfortable. And then there's our passage today. Jesus says this phrase, ask whatever you wish in my name and I will give it to you. Six times. Six times he says that. He's driving home this idea, right, with the same phrase. That's the point of repetition. He wants to make sure that we're grasping this. And as we start to hear him, we start to get nervous. And maybe the same question starts to nag at at all of us, which is basically, shouldn't our lives look different if this is true? Shouldn't my life basically be one story of answered prayer after answered prayer after answered prayer? But why doesn't this match our experience? Now we'll do three things this morning from our passage as Jesus presents to us his vision, his heart for what I'm calling the prayerful life. The goal, the hope that Jesus gives to his disciples, we are included in that band of disciples He gives us this vision of a prayerful life. And so we're going to have a governing metaphor, which is that the prayerful life is a journey. The the prayerful life is a pilgrimage. And so what we're going to look at first are the pitfalls of a prayerful life. How do we get off track with what Jesus is calling us to do and, and who he's calling us to be? Secondly, then we'll look at the proper posture of a prayerful life. And then third, we'll look at the gracious provisions that God gives us for a prayerful life. We're not left to our own devices to figure this out, but Jesus gives us provisions on this journey that he's calling us to. All right, so first of all, what threatens the kind of prayerful life that Jesus is presenting here at the end of John. And for this section, I'm, I'm leaning heavily on one of my favorite books. It's called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. I, I was thinking about this book. I highly commend it to you. It was kind of a life-changing book for me. We did a book study on this book the, around the time Lucy was born. She's my oldest child who's 11, so I'll always remember that, that we did a book study because I had to cancel one of them because Lucy was, was born at that time. And so, again, if Jesus is saying, like, this is who you're called to be, you're called to ask in my name, to abide in me, to receive everything you ask, it's this life that is prayerful, it's this life in communion with Jesus, where we're getting what we're asking, why don't our lives look like that? Imagine this prayerful life that we've been given. To riff on the Heidelberg Catechism, the most important part of our gratitude of being blood-bought sons and daughters of God who belong to him out of pure mercy, the chief thankfulness that we have is prayer. It's prayer. I'm going to let her preach. She can, she can go. That's all, it's all good. What are these pitfalls that knock us off course that we fall into? What are they? First pitfall is that we don't ask. The second pitfall is that we ask selfishly. James 4 speaks to this. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask but do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. So again, the governing metaphor here. We're on this journey of a prayerful life in communion with Jesus. What knocks us off course of that prayerful life? What's the pitfall that we fall into and it's not asking? So my question for you is why don't we ask? Why is that a problem? That all of us at some point can raise our hands and say, I am just not praying. I'm just not asking. I think there are a lot of explanations. One explanation could be the waters that we're swimming in. We are so influenced, and not to bore you with the history lesson, but we're so influenced by that movement in Europe in the the, uh, 1700s called the Enlightenment. 
We had all of these advances in understanding that the human condition and, and human culture and advancements in science and technology, there is not one person in this room that hasn't benefited just incredibly because of what happened during the Enlightenment. But so many of the leading lights of the Enlightenment wanted to explain reality in a way where you don't need a God who is providentially active in this world. That's the water that we swim in. So go to, go to any museum in the world. Go to the Louvre in Paris or, or just drive up the freeway to the Getty in Los Angeles and you, and you walk through the different time periods and, and you start off and you see how every, every age is just soaked through with the spiritual and with the religious and then you can kind of tell when the Enlightenment takes over because the focus changes. This is Benjamin Franklin's God Helps Those Who Help Themselves which isn't too far from is God actually necessary at all? And are we immune to self-helpism? Are we immune to just pull yourself up by the bootstrap-ism? I don't think so. Um, the, the pastor uh, and, and author John Stark, he wrote, Prayer is a protest of just about everything that makes us modern human beings. Isn't that good? Prayer is a protest of just about everything that makes us modern human beings. Why is prayer so hard? Because we are going against the inertia of Everything that defines our culture. And again, when we talk about culture, it's not just out there. We're in it. We're part of it. Another reason we don't pray is that we don't think God is very personal. He doesn't actually care. We practice prayer triage, right? Is it worth praying about? Should I be asking for prayer? Years and years ago, this is when I was in the seminary, I was involved at a, at a church doing some youth ministry, and Cassie was, was involved, my, my wife, she was involved with it as well. And I'll never forget, one night, the, the youth group is ending, and we're going around the room asking for prayer requests, and this was two weeks before the Olympics in 2008. And, and a girl raises her hand, and she says, I have a prayer request, I'd like to pray for the Olympics. And the youth pastor looks at Cassie and says, Cassie, will you pray for the Olympics? Now, I've been in ministry for 11 years, I still don't know how to pray for the Olympics, if, if you wanted me to do that right now. Uh, I felt so bad. I was like, this is the ministry wife lifestyle right here, to, to pray for the Olympics. Now, I'm not making fun of this girl, because I think, isn't she doing what Jesus kind of commended children for? I'm guessing the Olympics just came to her mind, and so she said, let's pray for the Olympics. Ask, ask, ask. Maybe we don't pray because we don't want God to get too close, because then we lose control. We fear God being in control. Maybe prayer's risky. Our prayers might not be answered or they, or they might be answered in unsettling ways. Like the person who hurt us, we may need to forgive. The idols that we cling to, right? the, the success of my kids, the success of my career, climbing the corporate ladder, maybe I have to let go of those. And that's really scary. So the first pitfall is not asking we just don't go to God. But remember, there's another pitfall that we can fall into, which is asking selfishly. I'm going to return to this idea kind of over and over that we need to enter prayer with a healthy dose of suspicion of ourselves. A healthy dose of suspicion of our motives and our desires. It's a good place to begin when we think about prayers. As we bring um, our desires to God, we're, we're always aware that, yeah, but my desires are, are also skewed. My desires, my hopes, and my dreams, many of them are really, really good, but some of them uh, maybe aren't so much. And so we have that humility as we come to prayer. 
In our passage this morning, there are two conditions in order for Jesus to answer your prayer. John 15, 7. First, we must abide in him. Secondly, we have to ask in his name. That's repeated five times. We need to abide in him. We need to pray in communion with Jesus. I've heard it said this way, Christian maturity is learning to hear the voice of Jesus more than any other voice. That's what it means to abide with him. I think it's a good picture. Of learning to come to prayer with the confidence, because we're in communion with him, of of being loved and accepted and cherished in the same way that Christ is loved and cherished and accepted and welcomed by the Father. And so we come abiding, grasping hold of Jesus by faith. The other condition is to ask in his name. So what does it mean to ask and pray in Jesus' name? It's obviously, or maybe not obviously, but it's not a, ma- a magical formula. It's not an incantation. It's not like a signature where we kind of stamp with approval the, the prayer that we bring to God. It's not about naming it and claiming it. It's about the name. The Bible is filled with just how seriously God takes his name. The third commandment prohibits taking God's name in vain. You can't just slap God's name on your mission and your desire, and your project. You read through the Exodus narrative and and the back and forth between Pharaoh and Moses, and, and you see how seriously God takes his name. We read repeatedly that the whole point is God saying, for my name's sake. The importance of the name of God is no less important in the New Testament. We, we just prayed it this morning, right? Hallowed be your name. Jesus teaches his disciples about the place of children in his kingdom. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Jesus says where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I. Picture of the end of all things where every tongue confesses, every knee is bowed before Jesus. Why? Because he has the name that is above all names. And so praying in Jesus' name isn't just a magical formula. Uh, It's not just the the receipt to make sure that we are heard. Then what is the name? It's the summation of who God is. It's his character. It's his identity. It's his worth. And so when you pray in Jesus' name, you're praying that he be glorified, that he be hallowed, that he's made much of, that he's worshipped. Jesus is saying that your prayers will be answered when your motive is that God would be the biggest. That God, you are the best. What happens when we usually pray? We pray in our name. Our name is glorified, made much of. That our lives would be comfortable and easy. Well, that's the other side of the cliff that we can fall off of. That's the other pitfall that we can stumble into. So those are the dangers Right, Not asking, asking selfishly. And so what is the posture of the prayerful life? I think two things when it comes to a life of prayer. You need desire, that is important, and you need submission. You need desire and you need submission. Desire, feelings, passion is what asking is all about. You come with your desires with the hope and expectation that God will hear them. But remember that healthy dose of self-suspicion, right? You come wanting and expecting God to hear your desires, but also this hope that God will mold your desires according to his. As you abide in Jesus and you become more acquainted with God, you will begin to desire and feel and be passionate about those things that God is passionate about. 
Again, a healthy suspicion of our own desires with an openness to being shaped by the desires of God. An openness to being quiet before the Lord, to hear from him. And I don't believe that that God ordinarily speaks to us with an audible voice. I don't have an expectation that I will receive a vision from God. And I'm not sad about that. Because I think God does speak. He speaks through his word and and he does change hearts. I know so many of us can attest to how God has changed our hearts, even through prayer, even through listening to God and and, and knowing and and experiencing the direction that he places in our lives. It's a changed heart. But you also need submission. Letting God determine the best way for him to accomplish his ends. Usually when we're submitting to God in prayer, we're putting things on God's timeline. That's the frustrating thing. The opposite of this is to pray impulsively. We, we, we react to the world around us, and so prayer is always a reaction. I think that's a good thing. It's a good thing that prayer is a reaction. There, there are worse things to do, right? Like not pray. But we want to move beyond prayer just being reactive. We want to come to a place where we can pay attention to how God has been lovingly and faithfully present with us all along. One of the, the verses that, that I've gone back to you over and over, going back to when we were all on lockdown, Back in spring of, of 2020, this verse has just been front and center. Psalm 112, 6 through 7. The righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. Why? Because his heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid. More often than not, it's not that our prayers go unanswered. He just hasn't answered them yet. And so our job is to remain persistent in prayer. It's what Jesus talks about often. Some of his parables deal with this. One of my favorite parables deals exactly with this point of just being persistent in prayer. It's the the unjust judge and the widow. If you remember this parable of Jesus, there's a widow who goes to this judge asking for justice. And this judge is a wicked man. And she keeps going back and he keeps ignoring her. And finally the judge has a breakdown and he basically says, I don't care about God and I don't care about human beings. I just want her to go away. And so he grants her justice. Such a beautiful parable because what is Jesus saying? If the judge in the world like that, acts like that, how much more will God, your Father who loves you, hear your prayer? Be persistent. Submission and desire. No better example of this praying life than Jesus. No better example of submission and desire than Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane where he models this kind of prayer. He expresses his desire. Will you remove the cup if at all possible? Can you remove the suffering if at all possible? Jesus desires to not bear the sins of us. Not even his own sins. Because he has none. But he also has submission. His desires need to be shaped by the desires of his father. Jesus is honest, but his feelings don't control him and win the day. Because the next line is Jesus saying, not what I will, but yours be done. You see the combination, desire, here is my heart, and submission, not my will, but yours be done. Here are the desires of my heart, but God, shape me according to your desires. How are we going to get started on this path of the prayerful life that Jesus is holding out for us? You need two things. 
two gracious provisions that God gives us, and this is where we'll end on, on how Jesus provides for us on this journey of the prayerful life. You need the gospel and you need community. I think that the natural default mode for us, especially if we keep going with this metaphor, is that we fall into the pit and then it's up to us to claw our way out of the pit and get back on the path. But that's not necessarily the answer. The answer is that Jesus grabs us and takes us out of the pit and he often grabs us through the hands of others, which is the community that we've been called to. Where is encouragement found for those of us who struggle with prayer, who don't pray enough, Where is encouragement found for you if you realize that a week has gone by and you haven't prayed one time this last week? You didn't need to come to church to know that's not a good thing. Before you ever walked into the door, you knew that to not pray is not a good thing. So why did you come into this place? Because where is your encouragement found? Well, it's in the gospel. Because when it comes to prayer, your biggest need is not that Jesus will answer all of your prayers if you pray in his name and abide in him. That is not your biggest need. I mean, that's incredible news, right, that Jesus hears our prayers and that he answers them. But it's not the best news. The best news is that Jesus prays for you. Hebrews 7, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus lives to make intercession for you. This means your salvation is totally secure because Jesus never stops praying for you. Where does your your, your life of prayer, this prayerful life, where does it begin? Even if it is beginning again for for the who knows how many times, it's that Jesus has never stopped praying for you. Even if you have 15 prayer journals that are that are put away on the shelf with like a couple pages filled out on each of them, Jesus' prayer journal for you is stock full. Even if your prayers are messy, it won't stop Jesus from praying for you. And that's the good news of the gospel. You're going to need this good news over and over and over if you will persevere in prayer. If you start praying, you will likely at some point quit and you'll wonder, can I return? Will Jesus hear me? Will Jesus still care about me? And the answer is that he's never stopped praying for you. Secondly, you need community. Praying by yourself is hard. Um, there, there's, there's comfort in seeing Jesus' disciples fall asleep, right? Because that, that's who we are. Peter, James, and John, they, they managed to fall asleep uh, before the glory of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they managed to fall asleep at the lowest of lows in the Garden of Gethsemane. But Jesus does not stop praying for them. It's the comfort of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I don't know what to pray, and that's okay. Jesus says, here's the script. Just start with this. Pray this. Praying is hard and it's vulnerable, and yet I have learned and I continue to learn how to pray from praying with other people. Praying by yourself is essential. It's necessary. You need to have a dynamic prayer life. That is where your cup is full, but I I believe you learn how to pray. And and there's, there's a way where prayer is different when it's together. I think that's just true. And so part, I think, of of, of what I want to say today is let's figure out the prayerful life together. 
We learn to pray together. Um, what does it mean to be in community with one another? And as the people of God, it means that we pray for one another and we pray with each other. Um, are any of you on Nextdoor, the creepy app where we're all stalking each other, which really just means we just care, it's coyotes killing dogs. That's all the app is for, is coyotes killing dogs. Have any of you noticed the amount of prayer requests that come across Nextdoor? If you haven't, well, you know, next door is this, this kind of social media network where people are saying events happening in the neighborhood. And I have been absolutely astounded by the amount of prayer requests that come across next door just to strangers. How depressing is that? This community exists so that you have a place to come with your burdens. So that when you're weeping, you can find some other people to join you in weeping. So that when you're rejoicing, you can, you can bring that to other people to rejoice in. And so to be the community, right, it means bringing meals and checking in. It means getting to know one another. It means worshiping together as God's people. Just seeing other people down the row as you're worshiping God is a ministry that we are all called to. And it's a beautiful ministry. It means joining fellowship with, with people who are nothing like you. You've heard me say this before. To find someone in this room um, who, you, who you look at and say, you know, if it weren't for Christ, I would, I would have no relationship with this person and celebrate it. Because you do. Different interests, different life stages, right? They have kids, I don't have kids, or vice versa. People who vote differently than you. People who are going through different experiences than you. And yet you come together, and in the most meaningful way, you come together to pray. When someone needs prayer, don't just say, I'll pray for you. Say, let's pray. Part of the purpose of the groups we have is, is, to, is to get to know each other so that we can pray for one another. Make sure that your friendships that develop here are cultivated in a spirit of prayer, not just in a time of crisis, but in all times. One of the beautiful things about spiritual diversity, and by that kind of cliched phrase, we're getting at this idea of different experiences. Some people in this room struggle to pray. They have not prayed all week. Others of you are absolutely prayer warriors. But you know what's beautiful about those of you who are prayer warriors is that you are covered in the scars of being in the pit of prayerlessness. Because there isn't a person in here that just woke up one day and figured it out. We all know the parameters. We all know what the pit feels like where we haven't prayed and that exercise of humility, that exercise of coming together to learn, to figure it out. The gospel reminds us the prayerful life is ours because Christ is ours. The community God gives us reminds us we aren't alone, but we're surrounded by fellow pilgrims who struggle along with us in the prayerful life. Some of us don't have prayer figured out, others of us do. But let's figure it out together. Each of us will trip and stumble along the way of the prayerful life, but we trip and we stumble safely clinging to the coattails of Jesus, our elder brother and our faithful praying priest. Let's pray. Lord, we are, we are so grateful, Lord Jesus, that you not only have acted in the past for our past. It's not just that you were crucified outside the city gates of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago and you've secured our salvation, which is the, it's the greatest news we'll ever hear. But the other part of that great news, Lord, is that you pray for us. 
As Hebrews puts it, you ever live to intercede for us. If that was not in the Bible, it would feel blasphemous to say. Who are we to even think that, Jesus, you live to intercede for me? Yet your word says it. Help us to believe it. Help us to trust it. Lord, would you create in this body a praying community? We, we have nothing else to offer. And yet, what, what is greater than this reality that you called us to? Lord, would, would we facilitate avenues of prayer? Would we come together as those who are so needy and dependent upon you and who are so encouraging to one another, always with a hand to grab us out of that pit of prayerlessness in order to bring us back to our Father's throne of grace. Holy Spirit, would you do that work to, to confirm in our hearts the, the word that was proclaimed this morning and also to grow us and conform us more and more into the image of Jesus. And what is the life of Jesus but the perfect one who prayed? The one who at every turn was so dependent upon the Father. Lord, we confess, we know we'll never be there uh, on, on this side of glory. And yet we have the second best thing, which is grabbing hold of that Jesus, that praying one. So Lord, build us up by your word. Build us up this morning uh, with one another. We thank, we're, we thank you. We're, we're, we're so grateful that you desire to hear our prayers. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.